Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adopting Wellness. I'm Katie. And I'm Laura. (laughs) And we're so excited to be here because we have one of our besties on. So can anyone guess who it is? Anyone? Probably about the title of the episode. Well, there's only three possible people <laughs> it could you, be. Patrick. <laughs> Damn you, Patrick. I say that same thing on my show, on the Johnson Show all the time. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert, it's Patrick Armstrong. Yay. Yay. We need like insert, insert clapping noises. Insert, insert Where's applause. Where's KJ when you really need him? You know, right? Yeah, you got to get that soundboard on there. We got to gotta get KJ to send us some clips. I want we one do. of those ones where you just hit the button and have the reaction just like Ooh, he does. Oh, yeah. Like the old, old time movies. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyway. The old time I movies? Di- <laughs> Stop. It's fine. Let me just freaking introduce you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're so excited to have Patrick here. Here's his formalized bio. Oh, my. But, he's, but honestly, he's very accomplished. Yes. Patrick Armstrong. Mm-hmm is a transracial Korean American adoptee, podcaster, speaker, and community facilitator. He is the host of Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong, a podcast where he discusses the pieces of the conversation we aren't talking about but should be. He is also one of the hosts of the award-winning podcast John Chi Show, a show that explores and celebrates the experiences and stories of Korean adoptees everywhere. He is a co-founder of the Asian Adoptees of Indiana, a group dedicated to creating a safe, engaging community for all Asian adoptees who need it. He's currently based in Indianapolis with his wife and cat. Hi. Hi. It's weird to hear my... Okay, I haven't heard that bio read out loud um, to me since I wrote that one. And I'm realizing that one, I probably shouldn't define each thing that I do. (laughs) I kind of like it. Intro. And then two, that's the first time I've heard the new slogan for conversation, conversation piece, piece read out loud too. So I yeah. like that. That sounds good. It's so good. And if you haven't <laughs> so, listened to conversation piece, you need to go listen because it's awesome. Of course. Both former guests. I got to have you back on as a oh, duo yeah. for, to talk about the show. Oh my God. It would be a whole mess. But yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it basically, my favorite kind. Whole. Yeah. <laughs> we... we we would just be having the same conversations over and over together. Basically. All three of us. Yep. But it's great. Um, also, I'm really happy and excited that I, I read that mm. paragraph without messing up one word. You crushed it. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, the so, clap track would have been good right there. It would have. See? Where's <laughs> KJ? KJ, you're late. That's we need funny. to hire KJ just know, to right? insert these things. Maybe I'll put it in. I guess we don't because yeah, I'm the one that does it. Maybe I'll put it in. <laughs> He's like, Drink it. I can't wait for more work. This is great. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that in. Maybe not. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to be here. Thank you Welcome, for having me. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you for being here with us. We are so stoked to have you on. Um, we wanted to bring Patrick on to talk about self-care, obviously, and wellness, and just get an idea of what that means for for him. Um, yeah. So, Patrick, like when you he- when you hear the term self-care and or wellness, like what comes up for you? What do you feel like 
What do you think of? For self-care, I've been thinking about it as the little things that I do in between all of this work that I feel like I'm, I'm doing currently. Work that I really enjoy, but also understanding that I want to be more present in these moments. I just wrote about it on my social media um, perspective shift and being present in each moment and how significant that is. Um, when it comes to wellness, I think about all of those things, plus like maybe the different ways I'm caring for my body and my spirit, I suppose. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I say that out loud very often, but I've never um, heard you say that out loud. <laughs> Great. Well, that I love that. It. I have lots of <laughs> options <laughs> about that. I know. I want to dive I mean, into that I, one. I mean, I feel like I'm very novice and I probably am doing terribly at um, well, listen, Patrick, I'm a professional <laughs> wellness. T- Are you kidding? <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I feel be- like I'm not doing well on the wellness piece um, in certain aspects, but it's okay. Can, okay, so can we get an amen to that? Because <laughs> everyone I know, right? Like can, it's can so hard. Back. Can we go back? How are yeah. you defining? Let's, let's. Let's talk about how are you defining self-care and wellness? Like, what does that look like? Like specific, specific things. Yeah. When you talk about the little Um, things, what do you, what do you mean? So I think a lot of it comes down to like eating, I think for me, Mm -hmm. and I don't do that very well. Um, But I think that's a little thing that can add up to being a big thing. Um, Another thing that I've been really into lately is reading. Um, I think like, especially from a spiritual aspect, I think reading is a, is one of those little things of self-care that helps me just develop my understanding of all things. Um, mm. Like I just read a living remedy by Nicole Chung. Mm. Okay. How was man, it? Was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's on I my read list. Post about it. Yeah. yeah I read it me like too. one day. And I have and the book. Okay, we were on it. the plane coming home from Arizona. <laughs> I was reading. I'm just bawling <laughs> on the plane. I was like, stop reading that. And I'm like, no, I can't. I'm almost no, done. No, it's so good. Sometimes um, it, it is was... hard to like dive into that though. If you know you're yeah, going to yeah, cry, yeah, yeah. like it can be hard. I knew it was going to, I mean, I read the first four chapters, I think, uh, the day I, or the day after I bought the book, we were still out there. So the day before we left, and then I just read the, all the rest of it in the airport and then on the plane. I mean, it was hard to put down. The chapters are pretty short and engaging, but it's just like, I realized I was still processing a lot of my own grief. And I mm-hmm. think that I thought I had processed it and it mm-hmm. was a past tense thing, but the book really just helped open my eyes and better understand like those things that I was going through that I think I wasn't thinking about. That sounds so good. I can't wait to read that. Yeah. was That was like an off-tangent question or answer to the question no. of how do I define those things. <laughs> but I think what you said about grief just made me – just kind of reminded me of – I think a lot of times when we process grief, we think that it goes away because we're not con- – it's not at the, the forefront of your brain yeah. all the time. And then, and then when something comes up, you're like, yeah, right. that really actually – still is painful and catch us off guard yeah you still need to process it more so it just shows how non-linear grief is and Mm -hmm. and how how much of a process it really is like you can take time and confront it and feel it and still move forward but still be in the process of grief right even when it's not a, a physical or even emotional point at the top of your brain well That's it feels very yeah it feels very end pointy i think after you go through the uh, that initial process and then you have mm. those things that remind you like mm-hmm. the book reminded me 
um, certain movies or shows that I watch, like scenes that happen in those things will remind me, mm. um, especially after I think, like you said, like I've moved past it potentially, mm-hmm. but it is, it's just ongoing. And I like what you said about it. Nonlinear. It's very mm-hmm. temporal. I just yeah. had a conversation with Carolyn, someone about, uh, a bunch of stuff. And one of the things that she talked about was like the temporal nature of like our identities and stuff mm. and how it's not all linear specifically. Um, we are so connected like with our ancestors and with all of these roots, even when as adoptees, in a lot of cases, we can feel the severance of those things. Yeah. Mm. And like our direct ancestors, we may not know another thing that I just wrote about, but um, we do still have those ties like especially as trans or intercountry adoptees, like mm-hmm. we still have those ties to our country and our people. But um, I don't know. It's all very, it's all very much happens in, in the same moment, but all at different moments, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. I'm grief- just thinking about mm. what you said. Mm. <laughs> I haven't quite processed yeah, what you just said about ancestors. Digesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like Nicole's book definitely made me think about it, but it's just like, I don't know something. I, it's just been something on my mind lately of just how I will never be able to trace back like my direct ancestral line and sure. I'll never know those folks. Um, and that sucks. <laughs> like yeah. it makes me sure. super yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, I'm laughing about it, but I'm sad about it. No, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Um, we but like it's, and, and then it's like, you know, in that case, I'm like, I'm not also getting those questions answered about like why and all of this stuff about being adopted. And then also, but also like, how do I reconcile the relationship that I have with like all of it, which yeah. I think is what I'm talking about when I'm referencing like those, like our ancestors, ancestors, just like, yeah. you know, we're still a part of that, but it's at the same time, I don't know. It's just really, that's a lot of grief there, knowing that there's a, a lack or a loss of that lineage personally. Totally. This is timely for me, Patrick, because I've just been in this space of thinking about grief a lot. And I want, I would love to hear, you know, what you think about this, but I, I am, I'm in this phase right now where I think about adoption and where I'm, I think a lot of the problems with the narrative around adoption and the, um, just the lack of recognition in the adoptee experience is that we as a people in general, don't know how to handle grief mm-hmm. and we don't want to hold it. And therefore we're not really willing to recognize that as really one of the central parts of the adoptee experience is carrying and living with grief. And I, I know some of that is what we're talking about, right? That like we, we can't live in that grief all the time. We have moments of joy. We have, right. you know, all of these other emotions, but that really, I think, Every time I talk to an adoptee, it seems like we end up kind of back there. I don't know. What What do you think about that? Well, I think from a narrative standpoint, we're not allowed to grieve. Mm. Like, truly. Like, we're not mm. supposed to grieve the loss of that first family. Mm. Like, we're not sure. supposed to. That doesn't conform to this dominant narrative that we all talk about or in the community talk about. And so I can definitely see the characterization of us like we can't handle it. But that I think is a symptom of not being allowed to feel it in the first place. Like we're supposed to assimilate and with assimilation comes like joy and happiness and innocence as a child. But then again, we don't get, we're not allowed to grow up. We're not allowed to feel those adult feelings of grief. I was just watching a show where they're talking about, I have to shield my kid 
from the bad stuff. And it's because and like the I, parents can't handle it, right? It doesn't have anything. I don't know that it has much to do with us being able to handle it. I think it has everything to do with the parents not like sitting, being willing to sit in it because it's painful and hard right. and you want your kids to be happy, but the both and gets so lost, right? Like, well, again, too, like, and when you sit in that, you have to think about, especially if you're an adoptive parent, you like, if you sit in that, you all have to think about why was, is my adopted kid? Mm-hmm. Why did their parents have to give them up? And mm-hmm. when you think about that question, then you have to think about all the things that lead to someone making that decision, which is then addressing, you know, systemic inequity, and racism and white supremacy, but we don't. We definitely don't want to talk about those things, you know. So it's no, because easy. then we have to give something up, right? right we have to exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think it forces adoptive parents to realize that they were part of a system that well, right, was yeah, really taking advantage of. Uh, yeah, did y'all read that article in the New York Times, the one that Angie T- Angela Tucker was oh, a Angela part Tucker. of, and Joy? Um, I have not. I've, I've okay. seen it circulating and I had it on my list. And, it's long. You know. I, will, I will not lie. I haven't it's, read it yet either. It's very long. But, but there's actually a part of that article that I'd never read before that I think completely shocked me. And it was basically these two, you know, prospective adoptive parents. Um, they didn't use the word hopeful, which I was kind of happy mm. about. Um, but the they did that they they contacted Angie they said hey we want to we want to try to do this the right way and Angie pointed them to some resources and they really spent time with like what is this what does this mean and they did deconstruct like what what would have to happen for us to adopt and they didn't like it and they chose not to do it and mm-hmm. i've never heard that story before i've never heard i mean at least not in that yeah. way from beginning to end like this is what we did and it actually like we woke up we didn't feel good about it you know mm-hmm. i mean that's the work that you have to do and yeah. i think you can go through all of that work and still i think there will be prospective adoptive parents that yes. can go through that deconstructive process and still yeah. come out feeling like okay we can still go through this and do this and yeah. i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing but I think no. that you have to constantly be interrogating that decision yes. as you go through with the adoption process and as you become those parents and as you go through that journey and the child goes through their journey, like continue to revisit that, yeah. revisit that conversation, like, and not question or maybe question, but at least think about your role within the system. Like I said, yeah. like you said, the challenges people to think about their role within what is generally a very harmful system to many parties, Mm -hmm. um, but especially the children and then adults who go through that process. Um, You know, so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Topic. Yeah. I think that's why, and this is in no way, shape or form judging anyone, any adoptee that has adopted. I, but I think for me personally, I think that's why I, you know, I get, I get asked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider adoption? And I, mm. <laughs> there's like not even a hesitation. One, because I don't <laughs> want kids, but two, because I couldn't be a part of that same system mm. yeah. that, that like, if there was another child that felt like they were struggling every day, the way that I did my whole life, how could I be a part of that? Yeah. And, and encouraging that, um, that separation. Mm-hmm. And right. Again, there or is even no just judgment. walking through that with the child would be so hard, yeah. right? Like yeah. just thinking oh, about yeah. how heavily triggered you'd probably be seeing them struggle in the way that 
you've struggled, which as yeah. a parent, I can say you do anyway with, <laughs> with your kids, but mm-hmm. definitely if you are parenting an adoptee, I can't even imagine. And I have respect for people that are going through that. And, and I know that that's not easy. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just want to shout out one of the few adoptees who I know who have a, who has adopted Jennifer Patel. Cause I feel like she's very, oh, open. I feel like very open about that. And she like, when she came on the John Chi show has been very honest about like what that meant for her, especially post apocalypse or post yeah. coming out of the fog. Mm. And you know, I think that's important because we talk about stories that are missing, like the hidden, yeah. I've been using hidden histories uh, a lot because I feel like there's so much we just don't know, but it's right there. It's yeah. hidden because people don't want we don't we don't we haven't wanted to have that conversation, and that's one of them in our community is like adoptees who go through the process of adoption, especially before they start to think differently or come to terms with their own adoptions, and then they have to interrogate that while going through the process of parenting an adopted child. Like that is so many layers of complexity, I can't even begin to unpack it. <laughs> Super um, hard, yeah. I appreciate, like you said, the people that are going through that because at the end of the day, that's something that we should be talking about more, yeah. but we're not yet. And, we need you know, that perspective. Yeah. I think, and I adopted parents, other adopted parents need to hear that perspective because exactly. there are some things that only an adoptee and probably only an adoptee parenting another adoptee can bring to this, you know, narrative and, and education on adoption and what it really looks like. Yeah. So. Another shout out to Adoption Mosaic and Ostrid because I yes. believe they just had a panel yes. about yes. that specific thing. Yeah. So there are people out there doing it and the conversation is happening. There's just no reason, I think, to just like blanket condemn a choice because we really yeah. never know the whys. We never right. know the whole exactly. story. So I, I, I feel like all of us here like would rather use our time to learn and build relationships and, and try to understand things better rather than just like slam the door in people's faces. That's just not right. the vibe. Right. So. Two points. One, the episode that Patrick is referencing uh, is found on the John Chi show and it's Jennifer Patel. It's a fabulous uh, episode. Thank one you of for my doing favorites. That. <laughs> Background research. I don't know what it is. Absolutely so my favorite episode yeah. of the John Chi show. Really good. Um, it is, and I've told Jennifer this, like, and she's a great friend, um, but she has, she's just so vulnerable. And I think there's just nothing more um, beautiful and, and just a learning opportunity to uh, just listen to someone's story. And Jennifer just has such an incredible story of how uh, being an adoptee and being an adoptive parent and how that, um, has looked in her life. And secondly, I got to meet Ostrid in person from Adoption Mosaic, um, last week and it was glorious. Oh, she seems like, so cool. Wow. Yeah. I feel like she's like my people mm. kind of friend. Like yeah. she's fantastic. So love that. Also a great resource for adoptees and for allies of adoptees. Go check out uh, Adoption Mosaic on Instagram and I feel like everywhere else on social media. Yeah. yeah. Patrick, yeah. I, have a, I have another question because we're talking about like, you know, Katie was talking about um, advocates and just like, you know, um, I think you're one of those people in the community. You're You're somebody who likes to challenge narratives and ideas and really try to 
dig in in a vulnerable way? Like, do you think that, um, how does that play into self-care for you or, or does it? I mean, I think it's a huge form of self-care. And actually, I was just thinking about this before you even said you had another question about how one of my forms of self-care is storytelling. And yeah. so a lot of what I'm doing in the podcast or with my with Conversation Piece and with John C. Show is, is driven and rooted in storytelling. And it's not, I mean, it's cathartic to tell my own story because I didn't for so long and I'm mm-hmm. still doing it. I'm still figuring out, like, I think I'm like right there uh, with knowing now how to like really articulate my origin and like really get into it and be able to do that. And I feel like that journey to being able to do that with self-care because I think it's, it's important and it's, it's, it's fun to be able to relay your own story, even with the traumatic parts, you know? And again, I say that from a privileged standpoint of having a positive adoption experience, And so, you know, for some people, it's probably not fun. I don't know if that's probably the best word to describe it. But for myself, personally, just that one person, um, it's been become fun. There's joy in being able to articulate that in in a good way. And I feel not articulating it good now. So doing a great job. Um, You are. I feel like, but when I think the... The biggest form of care, I think, for me and what's really like changed my life and changed my perspective is sharing other people's stories, because I think coming into doing the John Chi show and just podcasting in general, I think that I was one of those people who took for granted what it means to share something about your own life with someone else. And through interviewing people and just meeting people in person and having conversations online, offline, wherever it might be. Like I've really come to understand the privilege of somebody telling you anything about their life for any reason whatsoever, because that means that they feel some modicum of safety or should should mean that they feel a modicum of safety and comfortability with sharing. Doesn't always mean that you can be coerced or forced into sharing your story, which you should not have to do. And that's not cool. And I will always call that out. But um, I think it's just, you know, like that. For example. When we uh, were doing the Asian adoptee clubhouse stuff, like at the very beginning, and we had somebody who was a Korean adoptee who lived in another country, they came in and they were in real time unpacking and like coming out of the fog is what we were saying at that point, wow. like going through their apocalypse moment. And we were like texting each other in the back, like, like, like what is happening right now? Yeah. Like what is going on? Like this is wow. amazing. Like, and like those moments, like a moment like that, really affirmed to me like the power of storytelling and the importance and the privilege of being able to do it. And the community that you're creating, right? That, that safe space. Yeah. Because everything, I mean, right now I'm of two minds. Like I think I'm of the adoptees. We as adoptees, we need to continue talking to each other and having that conversation because it's super important for people who like myself three years ago, were just figuring out what that meant. You know, you need to hear other voices from a similar community, a similar perspective to be able to gain perspective on your own. And as adoptees who, like myself, are now more vocal, more articulate, more able to have this conversation, we have to be able to see and recognize the privilege that we sit in and being able to do that and start having that conversation with people outside of our community. Because those people that sit outside our community probably sit in the positions of privilege and power that have influence to be able to make the changes that we want to see in the system, in the narrative, whatever it might be. 
And unfortunately, not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody should. Like, we need people who are loudly vocal on the on all ends of the spectrum, in all areas, from the adoptee community specifically. And then we need some of those people to go out and make sure that we're talking to all of these other people. Yeah. Because that's the, the only organizers. way yeah. we're going to be able to make that change. And there's a lot of people doing that. There's a lot of people doing that. But I would love to see us go further. And I think a lot of people are rightfully wary of venturing into capitalistic spaces to try and share this message. I think rightfully wary of doing so. But unfortunately, in my from my perspective, I think that's one of the spaces we have to infiltrate, that we have to go into and share these messages because that's where the real change is going to come from. Unless we tear down this government and we tear down every corporation that currently exists and replace it with something else. Like we need to be able to move in all of these spaces, yeah. you know, and, and, and again, I don't want to say this to invalidate or discredit anybody who feels like we shouldn't do that. I, I, I just also believe that we can do these things and we can do them in a way that is not harmful to our own community or other communities. Mm-hmm. Cause again, like we shouldn't be trying to get a seat at the table or get recognized to at the expense of another marginalized community. Like we shouldn't be doing that. And we shouldn't be doing that at the expense of people who are marginalized within our own community, people Mm -hmm. who are undocumented or disabled. Like we shouldn't be doing it at the expense of those folks as well. So like when we infiltrate these types of spaces and people get paid to do this work, like the hope is that we're also giving that we're like, we're investing, reinvesting that what we are making, not only to sustain ourselves and our livelihoods, but to be able to sustain and invest in our community to go forward. So that way we don't always have to go to these people. And in the future, we can bring these people up. We can lift all of our boats. I think by we could, we going could be those that. people, right? Exactly. Like we need adoptee we lawyers. We need adoptee but, politicians. We exactly. Need, yeah. My big thing, and I think I said that like four times, but another thing too, and just to like really hammer this home is diversity, equity, inclusion right now, big in corporate spaces. Like we want to be responsible. We want to make sure that we're being mindful. Um, And there's just a tons of marginalized groups or historically marginalized identities that fall under diversity, equity, inclusion. One of them that you're never going to find on there is adoptee or adopted person. Yep. And so at the end of the day, like I don't have to tell most of this audience Y'all already know that being adopted affects us in our everyday lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether we're going to the store, like those things may play into how we navigate the world just like it does. I mean, in different ways, but being Asian or being black or indigenous or whatever the case might be, like it's like it affects us. And so why wouldn't we be included or recognized on a DEI list of historically marginalized identities? Because looping it all the way back to what we first started talking about the narrative does not allow us to see adoptees as as, as a, an identity mm-hmm. that's worth inhabiting that's worth humanity and like and so, I don't, we don't spend yeah. enough time talking about that that like the because people really it's not just that people don't want us to to like deconstruct adoption and and really be confront that grief it's also that i don't think people see adoption as an identity because exactly. we're just supposed to be like assimilated and we just are who we are and oh it's this random fact about me and whatever it's this thing that just happened but it's not it's not a part of me and i think one of the biggest steps of the apocalypse or the fog is recognizing oh yeah it is <laughs> yeah it is yeah 
And I think an interesting piece of that conversation that's coming up a lot more that I'm hearing lately is like countries like South Korea are winding down the types of international adoptions that are being allowed, which by extension would mean like our communities are coming to like there's a cap on when Korean adoptees existed, for example, just as uh, just using it as an example, um, which I which I don't know. I think that's an interesting conversation. And I think one that we definitely need to be talking about because I feel like that is going to be used as a point of like, well, you know, that stopped in 2030. Like, why do we, why would we why would we think about that anymore? Um, interesting conversation I just had with Rick Allen. He mentioned somebody there. I don't know what their name is, but their Instagram handle is Return to Jung, I believe, or Zhang. Um, she is a mixed race child, or they are a mixed race child of an, a Korean adoptee. And they are unpacking what that experience is like. Wow. And so yeah. that's a whole thing. Like, that's a whole thing. And if that, if somebody's going to go through that experience and do that, does that not mean that being adopted is an identity that is affecting like that worldview and that perspective? Exactly. Like, doesn't that mean that's important, something that we should be looking at and talking about? Because it's not only affecting us as people, it's affecting our kids. It's we going are... to affect our grandkids. Like, because again, exactly. going back to this history, like this grief of hidden history, like, or the stuff that we lose, we are the start of our family tree. Like, we it's all for me it's all of korea and then it's me so i don't know like that's my that's my family tree it's the entire country and then me right here like that's where my family tree starts and so how am i supposed to talk to that about with my kids or my grandkids um in the future if the if everyone is telling me that's not a real identity that's right. not something that we need to be talking about that's not something we should be worried about like which is what makes the work you're doing so in integral not just for you but also for your community is that the way that you and the John Chi boys have like embraced that right and just are really leaning into that and i mean i think i think to answer your question in a way like you are doing that work for your son or future kids or whatever that looks like right like you, you are doing that. And I think we as adoptees understand that intergenerational trauma and work better than most people on this earth, because we see how the decisions of our parents, the decisions of lawmakers in the country we were born or the state we were born, we see how those things directly impact us. And we can, we can make inferences on how they've impacted our family members if we don't know. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to continue that right? We, we want to do something different. Yeah, I agree. And thank you. Thank you for saying that. I yeah. appreciate it. Katie, you look, Katie's oh, well you're about deep to say in something. it. She's deep in it. <laughs> I mean, I've been thinking this whole time. I know I did it, talk for like 20 straight minutes. So, <laughs> which is what, yeah, which is what podcast guests are supposed to do. The guest is supposed to talk more. You were on I was fire. Like, no one was, was going to stop you. I was on one. <laughs> yeah. You were on fire. <laughs> I've been having these conversations a lot in the last few months. And yeah. like, it's just really top of mind at all times. So yeah. 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 Um, well, I don't really even at this point, <laughs> I'd have to go probably 20 minutes ago, but I won't do that. Um, as you know, my brain, <laughs> but I, what I do want to say, I want to brag on Patrick because oh. Patrick and I have been really good friends for I don't know, like two. a couple days. <laughs> oh. two, two years? <laughs> two, years two years, I would say. Two years, for sure. Yeah, two years um, from Clubhouse. And, oh, um, Clubhouse. I know. I got a memory on Facebook uh, about a Clubhouse room that 
Patrick and Charlotte were Aww. hosting, and I giggled to myself. I wonder what that was. I don't know. <laughs> Probably the drawing one. Probably one of her drawing oh, ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, not even relevant. Um, so one of the things that Patrick is so good at after getting to know him and <laughs> – He's scared. <laughs> His face is so scared right now. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> you look like the gif of Willem Dafoe. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right, I'm going to get it together. Uh, this is why Patrick and I don't do podcasts together. Um, so one of the things that um, I think everyone can really see, but it really drove it home um, when someone outside of this adoptee community and in fact was in like five circles away from my life um, told me at a dinner, um, it's a friend of mine. And he said that he said, thank you so much for introducing me to Patrick Armstrong's uh, Instagram. And I said, Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> and he went on to say that your Instagram account and just your sharing has been so helpful to him as an adoptive parent. And I, you know, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. Patrick is all is awesome. <laughs> but I think it it really showed so much of like how much reach you're having. and. Um, and what he really liked is that like your reaction, you're reactionary in the best way. And I think reactionary kind of gets a negative connotation, but you're reactionary sure. in the best way when current events happen, when something comes up in an article, you know, it, I think it's really appreciated in the way that you engage and not just that you're quick to engage, but that you are thoughtful in engagement and I think that you're having a much broader reach than you could ever imagine. And, um, and just personally knowing you, I know that you engage so personally, even when you disagree, you're really, really good <laughs> at engaging people. Um, and, and so I just want to say all that to say that like you are doing incredible work, Patrick. Yes. I am so proud of you for the work that you've done, yes. but like even more so excited about what you're doing in the future. Like I, you're basically famous at this point <laughs> and <I'm> not famous. <laughs> I, I really love saying that to you. Um, but I, I do think like the, not to get biblical here, but the things that you have sowed, for the last two years, like I really am excited to see what reaps in yep. the future. Cause yep. like you are putting in so much and you have been putting in so much and it's just going to be exciting to see what comes to fruition. Well, you're walking um, the walk now, right? Like you've talked the talk and I see you walking the walk. I see all these communities that you've reached out to that you're, you know, bringing together yeah. and it's, it's amazing. So. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with me. I was trying not to get emotional um, because that, okay, I do. don't know, that means a lot. That means you're right. There's, it's hard to see. Well, I feel like in the age of social media and like vanity metrics, like I'm somebody who gets caught up in stuff like that. And, you know, like 
I can only see what the numbers tell me. I don't really know until somebody reaches out or somebody shares like an anecdote. So sure. that means a lot. Um, I like it. When I first entered the community, there was, it was heavily Korean adoptee focus. And I was told very, very early on that the community was split between pro and anti, and that you could not be in the middle. You could only be on one side or the other. And that really? I was going to get pulled between the two. Yes. Interesting. Yes. This was told directly to my face um, <laughs> that this would happen. And I saw that happening and I knew that there had to be some middle ground. Like, there's got to be a gray, there's gray space here that we're not occupying. And, or at least I couldn't see was being occupied, but very, very much was by tons and tons of people um, who I'm happy to either know or be aware of now when I wasn't then. And so like that moment, like those, that early moments really influenced like me wanting to, I feel like be more, have a more nuanced discussion about this and that influences the way I engage. But the other person who really helped me and helps me understand like how to deal with the worst kind of people is Cam, Cam Lee Small. Therapy yeah. redeemed. I've messaged him multiple un times unprompted after seeing how he responds to a comment in mm -hmm. on his posts or something that he shares with us, where I'm just like, bro, I have no idea how you do this because like I would be off the handle with it right now. And I'm like, you've really shown me like the way to go about doing that. And at, honestly, at the end of it, it's just root, like rooted in like empathy. Yeah. And just being Cam like is empathy King for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. like, and, and then the third thing too, um, I guess would be understanding when it comes to being like reactive to stuff, which I do think a lot of times is negative because we're reacting maybe in the wrong ways. And I don't necessarily know what the right way is, but I want to be proactive in my knowledge so when current events happen, my reaction is rooted in that as mm -hmm. opposed to just my opinion that's really uninformed about the topic that I'm reacting to. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that I know everything a lot or that I don't feel like I should react immediately based on emotion. There are a lot of times that I do that still. But uh, or thinking I think about doing that and my my uh, better brain particles tell me not to. <laughs> But just really, and again, going back to like self-care reading specifically, like that is what helps me stay grounded and present in like knowledge and mm -hmm. understanding like what it is that I'm talking about that has to do with whatever is happening in the world, like allows me to be able to give an analysis, I think, based in fact or mm -hmm. stuff that's happened before and not based on conjecture or opinion. Like, yeah. oh, I feel like happens a lot. You do it in a way, though, that's so vulnerable. And I, I don't know. I don't know if we've talked as much about this. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be a surprise to anyone that's been in the adoptee verse that there aren't a lot of male adoptees out in the forefront of this kind of work, right? Sure. Like, I think you are one of those people. And I think it's rare still, unfortunately, for men and probably especially adoptee men to be vulnerable in this way. And like, I see you do that. I'm just curious what you think about that, like vulnerability piece and like, you know, being a man in this space, what that's like. 
Well, I will say when we first started the John Chi show, Nathan, KJ, and I all said, should we, one of us be a woman? Like, should we get a, 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 a female voice here? Because it's like, why do, what do three cis males have to add to this conversation? So much. I, I believe it was J-Ron Kim who first told mm. us that she had, there were, she'd not seen like this kind of discussion happen very often. Another and so very she was like, yes. awesome episode. Love that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely mm-hmm. one of my favorites. And then Joy Liebertal Rowe uh, mm. reaffirmed that like 30 episodes later, which it's good to hear because it does feel very like we're three straight guys who like what, like (laughs) we've already had enough. Like if we weren't Asian or Korean and adopted, like what else are we bringing to the conversation? And so that feel, I mean, so to have that affirmation um, from people that I really respect and look up to was, was good and helps me on like contextualize, like being a part of that, like my place in that. I think from a vulnerability standpoint, I I think I've always not I haven't been in touch with my emotions. I've been very emotional. And then like going through this process of uncovering and understanding my identity, like I understand where that comes from now. And I think being vulnerable with my story or with my feelings, you know, I still withhold a fair amount. Like I don't talk super exclusively, but when about like my the specific ongoings of my life or my past. You know, but why I try to share specifically things that I feel like might resonate with somebody and also to model what it looks like to share your story. Like I've been doing like I went from having no knowledge of what that meant to now like I do it a lot, Uh, not only my own, but again, sharing other folks story as well. And I think like in especially in the social content, being vulnerable there is just that's an area where I feel like I have a lot of reach and I feel like it's an opportunity to model what that looks like. And I don't know if I'm always doing it right. And I don't think that that's what I'm doing is the way that people or even other men should go about doing that. And when I'm doing it, I don't have that thought in mind. I don't really think about myself in it, like as being male in this space and being vulnerable. But I mean, it is, I mean, it is an important topic. And I think it's one that we've brush the the outsides of the boundaries of but one that i haven't really explored super deeply or as deeply as i probably should or would like to it's something we've talked about on the john chi show a couple times actually about wanting to get deeper into but um specifically it's for modeling like and if and it not even necessarily for adoptees and how to like tell your own story but for adoptive parents and how like their adopted child the adopted child in their life might go about sharing their story or what they like the things in my past that I share, I feel like are specific to me, but are events that could probably happen in different fashions in other people's lives that you would never have known was something that was important to probably talk about or like was affecting you in some sort of way. Like my story at Purdue where I brushed off the Asian girl who was trying to talk to me in class because I was like, okay, I can either engage with this person because I didn't understand the language that she was speaking. I was like, I can engage with this person or I can just do what I've always done, be comfortable, not engage with them. And I didn't engage with them. And at first, like at that time, I wasn't thinking anything of it. Like I wasn't thinking about how that was affecting me or where that was coming from. But I remember that so vividly. I can literally picture her walking up right now because like that was a foundational moment in my life. It was another fork in the road moment where I could have went one way or the other. And I went the other because I didn't know how to have that conversation or what I was even feeling. And so 
Like, and nobody would know that. I would never, I don't think I even told anybody that story until I started to go on this journey. Like, and, and really realized like what that meant and what that did to my life. And not only my life, but also of that girl's life. Like, what if she was like, I'm lonely, that person looks approachable. And I was just out here like an asshole, like, please don't approach me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and then like, and, and I don't know. And then like, I think about that a lot when I think about how I meet people out in the world how I meet people in these types of spaces because I don't want to do that to somebody else ever again. That it makes me emotional. Now it makes me sick to my stomach to think about that. I did that to that person. And I don't, I have no idea who they are, where they went, what happened in their lives from that point, you know, and that's like me taking for granted somebody feeling comfortable enough to come up to me and like introduce themselves. And even that little bit, like that's one part of their life. Their story is just, hi, how are you? Here's my name. I was too, I was too wounded by and too in, too wounded by my adoption. I was too internal. I had internalized too much whiteness. I had uh, and white supremacy to realize what I was doing, what that moment was, and that harm that was inside of me extended outward to this mm. person. You're willing to really like sit with those moments. I appreciate that so much about you. I think so many of us just, you know, like we were talking about today, we like motor past it because it's uncomfortable and hard and. I see you like sitting with that and really like trying to deconstruct that in a meaningful way. And I just, yeah, I appreciate that about you so much. Well, uh, thank you. Patrick, uh, I know we've talked about this before, but I'd, I'd love to ask you now because it's been quite a while since we last talked about it, but in, in this, in, in our particular space of, the adoptee community, it's, it can be very triggering. It can be very reactive. It can be wonderful. It could be so many things, um, but it can also be really overwhelming. And so my question is, how do you manage? I know you said you, you read, but even your reading is very heavy reading. Sure. Um, so what takes you out of that, that headspace into a healthy space where you're not always deep diving into trauma, vulnerabilities, uh, you know, all of the heavy hitter stuff that tends to come with the community and doing advocacy and, and also doing your own personal work? Great question. Uh, spending time with my wife. That definitely Yay! helps because I feel like we, I love it. Like we'll give each other like really high level overviews, like our days or like conversations that we have. But for the most part, like we like separate that a little bit from mm. like we try to just like watch TV or just hang out and be in each other's presence. Um, so definitely spending time with her uh, is big. Playing basketball, like when I go get into the gym. Honestly, by the time that like an hour before I leave, I'm like already getting in that mindset, but. Like when I'm on the court, like I don't think about, I'm not thinking about adoption or trauma or anything like that. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about why the hell did you just turn the ball over? Why are you not getting back on defense? Like that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> so I'm, oh I'm going to traumatize in other ways <laughs> on the court. Um, but uh, so like the, like basketball is huge. Like that's a big one for me. Mm. I play twice a week for like three hours. and Awesome. Like that uh, really helps me release a lot, like out of my body, out of my mind, like 
it's it, it does feel detached from everything else which is nice but there is a tether because i play with all, all asian guys so like there is a tether to some of that but i don't i'm not Woo-hoo. thinking about any of that that's when awesome we're out there. i love that yeah so that one for sure and then i had a third one but i got on the basketball thing and now i've forgotten it what about music uh, i know you're a big music person yeah i would say um I have been listening to more music lately. Uh, music used to be a huge one for me. I feel like it less it is less now. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I've heard Emily say this a lot, but it's like I don't have time to listen mm-hmm. to music a lot. And probably because I'm listening to podcasts. So that actually is, I will say that's mm-hmm. my number three. Uh, I have comedy podcasts or it's either Comedy Bang Bang. That's my all-time favorite podcast. Um, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Or... I've been really into the Dateline podcast for like a year now. <laughs> and like, that is all trauma. That is all, all trauma. No, no. It is all trauma, but like, I don't know. Like, there's something about it that, like, it it's takes well me out of all of this other all. stuff. It's so well produced. It is. But the podcast is so hilarious it. because they just take the audio from the show, the TV show, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. and they put it out as the podcast. Like, Wait, and, what? And the killer scene yeah. here going is it into bad the house. That I didn't like, know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. And like once you realize, like if you look at all the reviews on like Apple Podcasts, they all say something about that. Oh, like I love that it's just an audio. Like my review says that too. Like it's like <laughs> it's hilarious. But it's just like I don't know. Just like like that is like the bad example. But like po- basketball and then like comedy podcasts or comedy bang bang specifically. Like I can put on an episode of comedy bang bang and forget everything that's going on and i'll just be laughing Mm -hmm. because i don't know there's just something about it that really i don't know it's just it's been my safe haven for a long time that show so for all the listeners out there that are wondering why we brought up music with patrick is because patrick is a rapper can we say was (laughs) i've been saying was your music is awesome. I remember you used Thank to you. post like your on your Instagram stories, you doing like some, I don't know if it was freestyle or if they were songs oh, yeah, being yeah, written. Yeah. I have a couple unwritten or unrecorded songs that I always I was just I don't know. And don't I worry, did, I we will link it to our show. I did a couple verses on that. So <laughs> link below. No, you can link kidding. it. I don't care. <laughs> I, I will say that I feel like that's pat it's past Patrick. Um, I was doing that at a time that I was again, very lost. And it was like, it was a good thing for me. Like it was a good outlet for writing and, and whatnot, but I wasn't, I wasn't honestly, I feel like at that time it was more performative than anything. Again, talk about mm-hmm. sitting and unpacking stuff. Like mm-hmm. I do think I did some good stuff and there was some, but there are some lines that like really make me cringe. There's some like ideas and concepts and songs that I'm like, Ugh, like, I don't like that. And mm-hmm. at sure. the end of the day, like. I don't know. It's just, it's just, there are certain things about it and about the like mindset of my writing at that time that when I look back on it now, I'm like, that was very performative. Mm. And like the things that I think about, like social justice wise, like I was in that mode of like trying to understand what that was, but very surface level. Mm-hmm. Like I was learning about it, but I wasn't doing anything about it. So, sure. but then I, when I was talk about it, like I was doing stuff about it when I really wasn't. That's part so, of like, the process, right? Sure, but I think about it, though, that is, I mean, at the end of the day, that is performance, like, uh, that is performative actions there, like, uh, and I didn't know it then, like, that wasn't, those weren't words that I was uh, familiar with or aware of, and I give myself grace to know, like, I didn't know that at that time, but when I look back, and I don't look back on it with shame or guilt, but I do think about it in that way a lot now, and if I were to write and do stuff uh, now, it would obviously be very different, but 
it's just like I feel like I talk a lot <laughs> on the podcast now, and I'm like, I don't know if I have enough time to do music. So that's why I say all of that to say that's why I talk about it in the past tense. But sure, sure. I did do but it. I, I did do it. I do love though. I think that's why I love art so much because you have such a starting point of where you were and your, you know, I think a lot of core beliefs come out of, of art and, and so many things of what, what you're going through in that particular time period comes out in art. Sure. And I love the idea that it's evolving and that there isn't as much, uh, criticism or, uh, I don't know, accusation or judgment. Um, because art is always kind of forming and yeah. creating new things. So mm. and art I like it you, is. Yeah. 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 So. It is funny to listen back to some songs though. I do have lyrics where I was like addressing being Asian or being mm. Korean and adopted by white people. <laughs> but I don't know. It's not, it's like it was just like a throwaway. It's like a one off thing. Like they would like yeah. snap like the at the end of a bar or something, but it wasn't like I don't know. <laughs> it's but interesting. That's interesting. You can go back and though. listen to it if you want. Like, I'm on SoundCloud. Really you can go check my stuff out. Oh, it's linked in the show notes too. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, I think I'm funny. waiting for a John Chi album because I know you and KJ are big music people. I, is Nathan a big Nathan? Music. Nathan would take our pictures. do the photo shoot. He does take great pictures though. If great, you're looking does. for a photographer, you should hire him. Amazing. Yeah. Plug. Plug. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Well, this Patrick. was a delight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank. I'm glad to come on the show. I've been glad to like follow this journey. Thanks for allowing me to to walk along it with you and alongside y'all. I think you're doing a great job. I think they've seen some really great feedback from the community, especially uh, about the conversations you've been having. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable as always, but also I think it's such an important thing to talk about the things you're doing in in terms of self care and wellness because. Mm. We, we aren't getting to those deeper levels without some of these conversations, without sure. like, lifting this up and really looking at it. And I'm, yeah, just, we love you. You're the best. Well, okay. I have, one, I have one last question. We're not uh, closing right now. No, right, we still am. We still no, I just got one more. Um, so what advice would you give to adoptees yes, that yes, are yes, yes. in this space that have a difficult time finding relief like the the burnout is so real and it's so easy to feel the burnout like mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're trying to bring people together when you're trying to create community when you're trying to do advocacy what what types of advice would you give to someone that's really struggling with taking care of themselves and doing the work that is involved in community great question yep <laughs> To that person, kidding. I would say that you are not alone in this work. Mm. I think, speaking for myself, I have definitely teetered and crossed over the line of burnout, of being worn out by the conversations, by the work, by everything that goes into trying to facilitate community and have these conversations and unpack even your own uh, specific journey. It's a lot. It can feel very lonely, um, mm -hmm. even when you're doing it with a lot of people. And... It's, it's, it's a complicated mess. I will say that. I will say that. It's just trying to do the work. Mm. But when you feel yourself on, on the edge like that, it helps to know that you can take a step back 
and that the work will continue because we are not alone out here doing this work. There are many, many people out here that are also contributing to the things that we're trying to do. And while we bring our own special flavors to all of the conversations, all of the community that we're building, it's because of all of those other folks that we're able to step away and take care of ourselves. Because one of us stepping back, 10 of us stepping back is not going to end or change where we're going. We're already moving in a forward direction. We are already seeing an evolution within our community that is beyond comprehension, I think, a lot of times for a lot of people. And that's why these conversations are difficult. Mm. And so if you feel yourself there, find that care, find that rest, prioritize your wellness because we need you for the long haul. We need you to be able to show up as your best self or whatever self that you can bring because you deserve to be able to live in that as well, in this work. You deserve to be able to be your best self at all these times or whatever, or however you want to show up. And you can't do that when you're constantly living in, in a space of burnout. You can't do it when you're constantly overextending yourself, even when it's for a good reason, even when your intention is good, because it just ends up hurting all parties. And you deserve better than that. And we want to see it happen. We need you here in, in the community. We need your voice. And we are here to support you. And you have community here when you're ready for that. So that would be my advice. You're not alone. And it's hard to take a step back. But when you can, you can do it with the comfort of knowing that there are other people out here that are going to pick the baton up and continue running until you're ready to get back in the race. Yeah. Love that. Where is the damn clapping? I know, right? Okay, insert <laughs> here. that sound. Oh, yay. Yay. <sighs> yeah. I just clap for myself. I don't like that. You did. You did. I like it. Listen, that's uh, sometimes that's what we need, right? Sometimes we I think, clap for ourselves. I think what you said is so important. Um, you know, you and I have had this conversation many times about putting the pressure on yourself because it feels like things kind of rest on your shoulders right. sometimes. And it's, and it's the reality is that we're in community. And even though you might not have someone working with you on the particular thing you're working on, you know, the community is going to move forward right. and, and people's voices, adoptees voices are going to be heard and they're going to be told and shared. And, um, and, you know, you are allowed to give yourself permission to put your work down for a little bit and work on yourself and get the rest that you need and then pick it back up. And, and that's ultimately like, that's the work that is necessary. That's needed is we need you, but we also need you to take care of yourself as well. Right. Um, I think there's, there's a fear no that people are going to be left behind, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that sure. that's something we need to do better at as a community is sure. is remembering to kind of like bring those people back in and re remind them that they're so valued and that, you know, I think uh, uh, Katie and I, you know, when we were coming in, there was this huge, there's always these waves of new adoptees coming into the space or adoptees coming back in. And I think there's we, I've tried to like, okay, like I'm going to get this person's number and like check on them, right? Like check on your friends, check on your people, remind them that they're valued, go out of your way to make that person, you know, 
feel a part of the community because sometimes it's really hard to reach out. And if you're not in that space, maybe you can be that person for someone. Right. And like, yeah. Yeah. And I will say one last thing before we go here. Um, so we recently went to Grand Canyon and I wrote about this, but give me perspective when I see something like that with a ton of history, because like it took, so it's taken thousands and thousands of years to form the Grand Canyon. And that's not even counting for the millions and millions of years that this planet has existed. And when you think about that, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. It's unfathomable. And when you think about yourself, we are an equally unfathomably small piece of that timeline. And when we think about that, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. It can feel like we are insignificant in the face of that. But what has happened for me, and if I can impart anything on to anyone, it's this. It's that when I've found myself in the face of these things, I realize it makes me realize just how significant, how important every single moment of our lives is. Because we only have a finite amount of time on this unfathomable space that we occupy. And what that means is, is we have to do with what we have. And that does not mean that every moment, when I say every moment is significant, doesn't mean that we are changing or impacting the world in the most profound way possible. Doesn't mean that we solved cancer or we've figured out the, the end of pie or whatever the, or whatever the case might be. It doesn't, we don't have to do that. It means that we become fully present and aware of ourselves in each moment. Because when we are with our partners or we're with our friends or we're with our family or we're discovering our own identities, we have to realize that each moment that we have in those moments is so significant and important to our to the rest of our lives, to the temporal reality of our identities, that everything that is happening in this moment has happened already. It's going to happen again. It might never happen, which adds that extra layer of significance to everything that we do. When you rest, when you read when you go for a walk, all of those things are super, super important. And I think with that perspective shift for me, I've been able to lean into vulnerability. I've been able to understand and sit with the harder conversations that I have with myself, with other people. And I've been able to be proactive when it comes to learning the things that I need to know or want to know. So when things happen in the world, I'm able to react in an appropriate way. So Everything that we do, every moment that we spend on moving forward is important. It is significant. And if I, I say that because I hope that somebody who might hear this will understand that even in your downtime, even when you're burnt out, like those things are important. And when you recognize that, when you're fully present in that moment, you can realize I need to step back. Yep. I need to be able to do that and, and take care of myself and know that the work will continue. Because we right now are doing work that is built off the work of other folks, other adoptees who have come before us. And the adoptees that came mm -hmm. before them is the work that's built yep. off of that. Yep. And I think is when we recognize that, when we are fully present in these moments, we understand those things and we can take more time to ourselves and understand that that's important to do so. So that's my other piece of advice is that every moment that we spend is significant, whether we're doing something of the utmost importance or something that someone would deem not important at all, like petting my cat outside. Vlad. Vlad. Shout out to Vlad. <laughs> Shout out, Vlad. Well, no. thank you, Patrick. Thanks for being our guest and our amazing yeah. producer. If you all and don't friend. know, he's our yes. producer. 
Yes. And he's our bestie. Yep. Bestie. And uh have we had the midwestern goodbye like i feel like we've tried what? to get off i think off. we're doing well, actually, it right now you well, guys have tried to get off at least three <laughs> times we're doing it right now <laughs> well <laughs> see you later okay yeah, well, yeah, so anyway. what's the weather like out there <laughs> how, 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 how are you doing weather wise <laughs> oh, um, we are all yeah, it's funny we are yeah. all midwesterners actually i didn't even think about that okay no, so no 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 Oh, no. sorry, Katie. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah. She's a not Southerner. She's a Southerner, oh my which God. I don't like. No, not that either. Okay, never mind. We're not getting into this. Anyway, Patrick, thanks so much <laughs> for being the guest. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. both for being the hosts. Appreciate it. <laughs> feel like we're... And we're failing. Like we're in the middle of it. Mic. We're in the middle of it. <laughs> pull the mic. Pull the mic up. We're done. Hilarious. Okay. Love y'all. Love you. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Don't you just love Patrick? I do. He's awesome and Best. super cool for him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like he had, you know, an hour's worth of of nuggets of truth to just drop oh, on everyone. Yes. And you can tell that he's been meeting with a lot of people because. I feel like it all just came out in our podcast. It's so good. I love, I really do love like him having this conversation in this space because putting it into context of like this as wellness, like this kind of um, identity work and yeah, all of that in the context of self-care and wellness is so important. We don't do that a lot because I think you and I are just in it. Like we talk about this stuff all the time. Like literally our text chain is... (laughs) like this kind of conversation. (laughs) So there's not a lot of difference, but calling that out to people that don't live this in the day to day and have this as a part of their, it's so important. It is. It really is to give context to so many different aspects of adoptee narrative and adoptee life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I I feel like I, yeah. uh, Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go Go ahead. I feel like I have so many thoughts, but I can't wait to even listen back just because I'm like, oh, yeah, I wanted to to ask this or say this, but I couldn't remember because I was just too engrossed in in listening. Well, like you said, there's so, so. many nuggets of wisdom to like process it, right? Yeah. Like be in it. Yes. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've talked to Patrick a lot about – um you know, being in the space and, and like, really, how do you step away? And, um, and like, what does that look like? And, um, and then also understanding that in any kind of community, like there, it is healthy to step away Mm. at different times Mm -hmm. for your own safety, for your own boundaries, Mm -hmm. for, you know, so many different reasons. And, be able to come back mm-hmm. um, if you want and yeah. be able to step back into different roles. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's really important to practice that because mm. I do think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be in community like always. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and also 
I think that's where sometimes it can get even unhealthy where you start putting expectations on yourself and on others of how it's supposed to be and look like. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, I, I feel like community being in community is a constant check of, you know, like checking in with yourself. Is this healthy? Is this what I need? You know, you know, asking yourself these questions and then, you know, weighing the pros and cons of, is this something that I need in my life? And yeah, is this something that I can find somewhere else? Totally. Yeah, totally. It's a reminder to us too, that a part of, part of community is the recognition that when we step away, we don't leave it all behind. We take some of this with us in a way that we can process it, that we can't when we're being bombarded with all of this information. We need that space Mm. to like sit with it and let it integrate into us. And I think Patrick does a really good job of that on his Instagram, especially, right? It's like all these facets of his personality. It's very clear through line for him that like, you know, we don't have to be serious all the time. I, that's what I love about the John Chi show too, right? Is those guys yeah. are hilarious. You can listen to them. They're so funny. All aspects yes. of their personality are out on the table. And the through line is that they live it. They're, they're, we're all living mm. this, right? Mm-hmm. And like, this is a part of who we are. It's not all of who we are, but it's important. Yeah. Yes. Love that. Yeah. What you got well, for us, Laura? Well, okay. So... I have a mindfulness exercise that I thought would be good for today. Um, I just want everyone to take a deep breath or yawn if you're Katie. I just, I just yawned. It's good. That's that's the best kind of deep breath. And this is weird, but look at the palm of your hand. Take a good look at it. And what we're going to do is we're going to use tracing our palm to guide our breath. So put your an index finger of your other hand at the base of your thumb. You're going to trace around your hand. And so as you trace up, breathe in to the tip of your thumb, out to the base of your thumb, in to the top of your pointer finger, out down the base of your pointer finger. And repeat that all along your hand and then go back the other direction. Okay. What was that like? Well, oddly enough, I already do that kind of outline thing. Like, I don't know where that comes from or why. I don't know if I do it because maybe I'm nervous, but I've never put that together with breathing. Um, <laughs> that sounded weird. I do breathe, but I've never done it as like a meditation. Um yeah. It felt really nice. I will say like, I have a hard time consciously thinking about breathing in yeah, as much as how natural it is to breathe out. Yep. 
I think we talked about this a little with Susan, right? When like how Mm. some of this stuff can get really feel really forced and hard for us. Like I agree with you. I think breathing in is breathing in is probably the hardest thing for me too. And I think for a lot Mm. of adoptees, it's what makes breathing stuff really tough. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, my ADHD can be so like insane at times that it's hard for me to focus. So I find little tools like this helpful because it's like, kind of a physical visual reminder of like, Oh, okay. Now we're doing this. So, um, Mm. yeah. That's interesting. How was it for you? It was, it was, uh, good. It's helpful. Like I said, to like really look at what I'm doing and be reminded of where I am. I think, um, I need those physical tools when I'm practicing right now, uh, Mm -hmm. any kind of mindfulness because my mind is in a million different directions at once. And yeah. It was good. What it does was... it say that <laughs> What does it say that I was looking at my hand and I was doing the outline of my hand and thinking what am I doing right now? And then I forgot to breathe. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean <laughs> okay, so again, just to remind people, like I used to teach this mindfulness stuff and um it in no way makes me an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I always used to be reminded and remind people that like this whole thing is a practice. And yes, you can be an expert as far as like having a practice for a long time and like learning about it. But I think the reality of all of this is that you were never, you don't, you don't like get it right one time Mm. and you're done. Like it's, (laughs) it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, now we're doing this. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing, you know what I mean? And and that's yeah. just kind of how it is. So, and it's literally a practice. Yes. Yeah. 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 I get that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I love you, friend. Love you, friend. And I can't uh, wait to can't talk wait to you again. You. Can't wait yeah. to see you next month in person. Katie's going to be here. I can't wait. What? So we're going to jump in the snow together. Well, the snow is melting, so be happy to hear that. <gasps> Yeah, it might be, Yay! it might be, yep, might be mostly gone by the time you get here, but it'll be beautiful. So. Oh my gosh, I'm excited. Yes. Okay, love you. All right, love you, love you, bye.